What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we continue our series on the Gospel of Luke. We've been looking at what Adam Hamilton calls the outsiders, outcasts, and outlaws of this book. We spent our first week at the beginning looking at the story of Mary and Elizabeth and how this young teen mom and this older woman unable to have children are examples to us. They persevered. They believed and trusted God even when the odds were against them, even when society was against them. We are called to something similar, working toward the good of all people everywhere. Now we take a look at our next scripture in the series. This is the story uh, usually called The Sinful Woman. Jeff is going to read it for us. Now there's lots of speculation of what that sin was, but that's not really the point of this story. Earlier in the gospel, Jesus has healed people, commanded love for enemies, and suspension of judgment. Now he talks about what forgiveness looks like. Let's hear our scripture as we begin. This is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Hear now the word of the Lord. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and, and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw it. He said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the, one to whom, but the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who, ha who were at the table with him began, began to say among themselves, who is this who, who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And from Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, 
but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in us this day that we may know your forgiveness and share it with the world. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. At this time, I'd like to introduce our guest preacher. Um, Michael Smith was raised in New Jersey and has served a number of congregations in the annual conference of the United Methodist Church in New Jersey. I know Michael because we served in youth ministry together when we were young and dumb. Uh, After smartening up, he got married and had kids and led the churches in Tabernacle in Irma and Clinton. Then he headed to Colorado to serve as a district superintendent. At his return, he was appointed to one of the largest churches in our annual conference, Trinity in Mullica Hill. Uh, Just recently, it was announced that he will be moving to Delran United Methodist Church in July. Delran is his hometown, so I know that's a special blessing for him and his family. Not only am I glad to have him here because he is a, a great pastor and an excellent preacher, but I count him as a true friend. Will you please welcome to the pulpit the Reverend Michael Smith. Good morning. I normally don't admit this in public, but since he fed me dinner last night, I am friends with Pastor Brian. <laughs> yeah, as uh, Brian mentioned, we've known each other for a while when we were uh, young and you know didn't know what we were doing in youth ministry. And look at us now, we're older and we still don't know what we are doing in ministry. You know, as friends, we try and get together with our families, you know, once a month, every other month, depending upon our schedules, just to have a time to encourage each other, to let our children destroy one another's parsonages, and uh, just to have a time uh, of friendship. So uh, it's a blessing for me to be able to be with you today. We had a a dinner last night and a time to be uh, together as friends. So it's great to be able to worship with you all and to uh, share in community. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we come to discover and to seek what you have for us today. Lord, speak to our hearts. We are listening. In your name we pray. Amen. Do you see this woman? As Jesus is doing his public ministry, he is going from town to town, place to place, healing, preaching, showing signs of the kingdom. And every now and then he will stop and have a meal or two. And here he is in Luke chapter 7 having a meal at a Pharisee's house. Now what's interesting, before we start to think about who this woman is, do you see what Jesus is doing? Before we look at her, can we look at him for just a moment? Now, Adam Hamilton, uh, as you're doing this series, I love how he says that the Gospel of Luke is a gospel of nobodies. So each chapter, it seems, Luke, as he is telling the story of Jesus, 
is raising up those that in Jesus' world, most would probably be considered outsiders or outlaws or outcasts, those that were pushed towards the margins. Luke is trying to help us see that in Jesus' ministry and in his love and in his grace, it's sometimes those folks who are the examples of those who get it. When those that the world would expect, maybe it was the religious leaders and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees or the Sadducees are the ones that just don't seem to understand this message of the kingdom. But Jesus is invited to a home as he normally was and as is that custom, and they're sharing in a meal. Do you see what he's doing? We've heard before about how he loves to eat with sinners and tax collectors. Of course, tax collectors are their own brand or own category of sinners. They just can't be lumped in with the regular sinners. It's tax collectors and sinners. Sinners and tax collectors. But now... We would think that the dinner audience, the people he is sharing and breaking bread with, are a little bit, you know, a little bit more elite in that society of the day. Simon the Pharisee, and certainly, uh, you know, as sinners find a network and a community together with tax collectors and find a home and a place of, of people, you would think in the same way that you know, clergy kind of hang out together sometimes and become friends because we have the same job and we have some of the same experiences. We went to school together or whatever it would be. You know, we would think that around this table there might be some other Pharisees. There might be some of the other elite of the day. And there Jesus is. But now, here comes this woman. Do you see her? I bet if we went down to the children's church or Sunday school right now and we asked the question, who in the Bible is going to be the example of courage? That, you know, because you've got good Bible scholars here at Grace, you know, the children would raise their hand and they'd shout out maybe uh, 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 Moses when he extended his hand and the waters of the Red Sea parted. Or maybe David when he took his sling and stones and faced a giant or Daniel when he was tossed into the lion's den those are probably some of the the heavy hitters or the more familiar examples of biblical courage but do you see this woman we may not think of it in this way but before we get to the moment of where she is weeping or she washes Jesus' feet with her tears and dries them with her hair, do you see the courage of this woman? For her to go to this Pharisee's house, for her to walk through the door, for her to see the glances or the stares of those that were at the table, again, we're not told the exact detail, but even Simon describes this woman as being a sinner. And while the Bible would remind us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, there's something within that language, isn't it? And sometimes we understand this when we see one another. The terms that we can call the other person. We have words, phrases, we have ideas that 
we could put our air quotes around them today about the way we would speak about a certain group. Now, of course, as we've seen what Jesus is doing in the Gospel of Luke, in fact, just in this chapter, just in chapter 7, we're going to see him break down all sorts of different types of uh, barriers or walls in his world as he is having conversations with a centurion and, and, and he, the healing of the servant. He's breaking down uh, cultural and you know, ethnic walls just by having those conversations. Just working our way through the chapter, you see he is breaking down religious walls when he heals, or in fact resurrects, excuse me, that's the proper term, when he resurrects the boy from Nain. When he goes and he sees the funeral procession and he touches the bed upon which the young man is lying, which would have made him ceremonially unclean. But Jesus is more concerned about resurrection and life than he is about any type of rules or ceremonies that we have in all of our religiosity. The same is true for us today. One of the things that we have put up as walls or barriers is that time and time again, the Spirit of Christ is trying to break those things down. Do you see what he is doing in our world today? Do you see him? Do you see this woman? She comes into the house, and for me, this is one of the most courageous moments of Scripture. It isn't just about being thrown into a lion's den or facing a giant, sometimes the most courageous act is getting out of the, the world in which we live or the term of which we've been defined as and getting face to face with those that would be our oppressors, with those that would label us. The courage it takes for her to walk into that house is far greater, friend, I think, than any lion's den. Do you see her? Do you see this woman? How many of you, and maybe you thought this at one point in your life, you've got a family member or friend where, you know, they're, you're talking about church, you're talking about grace, and maybe you got something going on, you got an event coming up, you got the women's retreat, you say, hey, come with me to that one-day women's retreat, or, or some of the other things that you got going on here in the life of the church, and that family member or friend might say, if I walk through the doors of that church, what do they say? That lightning's going to strike or the walls are going to fall down? I hear that a lot as a pastor, right? They say, oh, you know, especially, you know, when we do weddings sometimes, people say that too. Though, oh, I can't believe the walls didn't fall down uh, when, when I walked into this church. And I always say to those folks, if they didn't fall down when I walked in, you're safe. What is it about the fear that is in our world today? What is it about who we are as followers of Christ that sometimes makes people feel like they are different, like they are other, that they're not welcome in this house? 
the amount of courage for someone who's never been part of a church community to go online and to investigate and to see, is this going to be a place where me or my family would feel welcome? Or even just walking through the doors, these beautiful doors of grace, the courage that it takes. And maybe you have exercised that courage before in your life. You know, maybe when you came to visit here, you didn't know what you were going to expect. You didn't know if you were going to feel welcome or not. You didn't know how good-looking the pastor was <laughs> this Sunday. <laughs> I, I know that there's things that we have in our lives. You know, I don't know your story, friends. But I know that you've probably exercised some courage today. Do you see what he's doing? Do you see what she is doing now. Oh, there's something beautiful about, beautiful about when she gets into his presence. Even before a word is spoken, even before she begins to uh, serve or show her love to him, it says that she weeps. Have you ever had a moment in your relationship with God where you are not able to find the words, you're not able to to even do an action or, or to move, but there's just a moment of acknowledgement of his presence in your life that brings you to tears. And it's those tears that become that ointment, that balm, that healing. She, of course, has brought with her an alabaster jar. And other gospels would remind us that some of the disciples were discouraged about this act because of the cost. There's a cost, of course. You see, we don't know the cost of the oil in one another's alabaster jars, do we? But what if we can be in his presence? Would we not also weep? Do we not also weep when we start to reflect upon the mercy that God has given us in the person of Jesus Christ? His love and example that we read in the Gospels, of course, but just in his tenderness and in his care, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows us. He knows what's in your heart. What is your need today? And yes, we have tears of pain. Tears of regret, tears of mourning and loss and grief. But maybe our reaction today might also be tears of joy, of praise, of simply just acknowledging the goodness of God. But as we look at her, she weeps. She begins to wash Jesus' feet with those tears and to dry it, them with her hair. Now, of course, the host, the Pharisee, because what Jesus has done now, beyond the uh, ethnic or the cultural or the ceremonial or religious walls that he's breaking down, this is starting to get to be a little bit of a moral question. See, he has determined this woman's story. 
and said, well, if he really was who everyone says he is, if he really is a prophet, he would know this woman. And I don't think he'd want her doing that. This is a weird story in the Gospels. It's a little bit intimate, sometimes uncomfortable to hear this story because it's a beautiful outpouring of love, of pain, of preparation, Jesus would go on to say. Now Jesus, the gospel writer Luke tells us, speaks to Simon. But it says before he speaks to Simon, he looks at her. Which I just think is a beautiful way of describing how Jesus is going to interact You know, he's not going to even look at Simon to give him his story or his word about those who were in debt and the cancellation of that debt and the response of how we are called to live for those who have been set free from a debt. He simply is looking at her as he tells a story to the host because it's as if he doesn't want to take his eyes off the one who has done such an outpouring of love. He sees her. He sees her, and he forgives. Now, throughout the Gospels, this word of forgiveness is going to be hard for people to understand. How can he do that? He's going to make himself equal with God, other Gospel writers say. No one can forgive sins other than God. Is he proclaiming himself? that? Well, that's blasphemy, by the way. There's all of these things, but in this moment... While he may not know everything that would be going on in this situation, what he sees in her, and I think what he sees in all of us, is a need. And what is that need? Can it be forgiveness? While we can become so comfortable at getting used to the lack of vulnerability in our relationships with others, it can also lead to a lack of vulnerability with the one who knows us best. Sometimes we are afraid to name our need to the very one who is capable of healing that need. Are there things that we need forgiveness for? Yes. I think what we need in this moment is to simply see him seeing her. If we can see him seeing her, then maybe we have a way of approaching our relationship with God, our journey of faith. How can we be in his presence? How can we get to the throne of grace that maybe our own tears might wash his feet. And we come as we are to this throne of grace. In fact, Scripture would say that we boldly approach this throne of grace. The hymn writer would say it, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him, my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. 
bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ, my own. So while the world would tell you, while the world would have told her, you're not welcome in this house. You're not welcome to break bread. You're not welcome to approach the one that we want an audience with. He has come for you. Let your tears of praise and joy, let your tears of confession and naming your need, being real, being who you are, with the one who knows you already and loves you as you are, but yet invites you to find comfort in the midst of your mourning, healing in the midst of your pain, and hope in the midst of your despair. Come to him and ask. Name your need and don't be surprised if he says to your heart today a reminder that you are forgiven. Thanks be to God that our faith, your faith, can make you as well. Your faith has saved you. That we can indeed go in peace. So I don't know how you look at others. Or even the way that we've become so used to looking at ourselves. Because sometimes we put that label on ourselves. We did not give it to ourselves. But we've taken it on by others. That we've become so used to defining ourselves in a certain way that there are certain homes, certain places, certain people, that there are walls in our way. But the good news of Jesus Christ is for those who are outcasts and outlaws and outsiders, the marginalized, those that have been pushed to the ends, that have been told that their story doesn't matter, their needs don't matter, their concerns, that justice is far from them, but here comes the one proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God. Indeed, that justice and righteousness will be upon his shoulders. His mercy is for all generations. And his love and his forgiveness are for you. So today, do you see him seeing her? He sees you. Let us pray. Lord, in this moment, we pause to reflect upon your goodness and grace. We take a moment to name our need. We ask for your healing. Speak to our hearts and remind us of your love, to help us remember that we are seen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.